Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance and Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Yeah, the charcoal mask. Great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? <clears throat> Hello? Hey, Janice. I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. <laughs> no, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. The year is 2015. You got to do one movie at a time. One episode at a time. One podcast at a time. The movie, Creed. Hello, everyone, and welcome to... This is the podcast where we rewatch the greatest movies of all time to see if they truly are great or just remembered that way. I am Paul Shear. I love movies uh, and I especially love uh, talking about movies with my co-host, New York Times film critic Amy Nicholson. Oh, Paul. Oh, Paul, you magnificent TV writer, film actor, brain extraordinaire. Always a pleasure. Um, We're talking about Creed today, and I think that this is a really interesting conversation because there's a part of me that feels like Creed really got in front of the reboot sequel and did it the right way, kind of laid down the blueprint. And I don't know if many people followed it until really years later. The requel? I just rewatched Scream 5. Oh, wow. I can't wait. Scream 5 was good. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The the requel era that we live in. This to me is one of the prime examples of the requel era. How can you take new characters and old characters and jam them together in the ring? And how can you take out the voice of that lead character, Sylvester Stallone, and still make it have weight? I think Ryan Coogler did something here that's really interesting, which is set Stallone up to succeed without having him take it over. Well, and I feel like when you watch that, you can kind of see Stallone punching himself in the face and maybe punching the movie just a little bit too. There, you know, look, ego is the only thing that you have to fight every time you make a movie. And uh, it seems like ego might have taken him down. We'll get into all of this. But first, Amy, let's get ready to unspool. 
The year is 2015, and Ryan Coogler has been wanting to make his own Rocky movie for years. Years! All the way back in film school, he had a plan. When I graduate, I'm going to make a Rocky sequel for my dad. And for me, and and my generation, it's going to be about Apollo Creed's son. But before he had released any movie, he had actually managed to work his way into a room with Stallone and pitch him the plan to do it. Stallone said... No, I'm done with Rocky. Rocky done been done. Rocky is done. I did my Balboa. I got my victory lap. It is over. And also Stallone said in the nicest possible way, who the hell are you anyway, kid? But then Ryan Coogler releases his first movie, Fruitvale Station. Fruitvale plays Sundance. It wins the Grand Jury Prize and the Audience Award. Fruitvale plays Cannes. It wins Prize of the Future. And suddenly Stallone is like, Okay, maybe this prize of the future guy can bring my 40-year-old franchise into the future. Okay, but here is the problem. Apollo Creed was married, but didn't have a young son. Easy fix. The setup of Creed is that Apollo cheated on his wife with some lady named Johnson, got her pregnant with a boy, Adonis. Apollo died before Adonis was born, and the Johnson lady also died not too long after that. And after many brutal years in group homes, Adonis was adopted by Apollo's actual wife, Marianne, played by Felicia Rashad, and now grown-up Adonis, played by Coogler's Fruitvale Station star, Michael B. Jordan, wants to reclaim his dad's boxing belt, but not his last name. And also moved from L.A. to Philly to reclaim his dad's buddy, Rocky Balboa, thus springing Stallone back into the story. And on the way, he meets a great girl named Bianca, played by Tessa Thompson. Creed was released on November 25th, 2015, and did great commercially and critically, except for a handful of critics. It cost $35 million, it made $173 million, and it won Stallone his first ever acting award at the Golden Globes. Very big deal for him. He lost the Oscar to Mark Rylance, thus ushering in the Mark Rylance era, which, oh God, I've got opinions on. But (laughs) the thing is, I think at this moment, Oscar voters were kind of like, oh yeah, there's the cool cougar of it all. Sure, there's the mighty Michael B. Jordan of it all. These people really, really, really liked seeing Stallone back in the role, back in this movie. And I would say if people are going to sing about it, it probably sounded a lot like the number one song on the charts that weekend of November 25th, Adele and Hello. Hello, it's me. I was wondering if after all these years you'd like to me to go over Everything They say the time's supposed to heal you But I ain't done much healing Wow, I was really wondering where you were going with that That people really wanted to see Stallone back in the role Uh, It was a reach (laughs) It was a reach because, Amy, let's be honest Rocky has been around for a long time And there's been ups and downs I thought, quite honestly, that uh, Rocky Balboa, the last in the series, not with a numeral attached to it, really did a great job at ending the Rocky story. I thought it was a great way out because Rocky V, as we all know, is a mess. Um, Rocky IV is a music video, and I love it. I'm not, you know, I'm not going down on number four. I think number four is great, but I really felt like Stallone reached something with Rocky Balboa, and I think people were done. But I think what people got excited about was. These two, Kugler and Michael B. Jordan, I think that's what brought people there. Because the truth is, 
Yes, Rocky is a staple of old cinema. And to get people into this world, I think that a lot of people probably came to this not even knowing about Rocky. A lot of people came to this for the first time just getting this story through these eyes. And re-watching it, I had a thought. And I was like, you know, I've said this a million times in the last year. I was like, Maverick is probably the best sequel reboot ever. And I'm like, you know what? Creed did it first. Creed did it first. Everything that I love about Top Gun Maverick, Creed did. Now, here's where I think Creed bested Maverick. Tom Cruise does not pass the torch. As I've said, he passes it to himself. Tom Cruise is still the, the the main person in Top Gun. Here, it really is this passing of the torch, but also this amazing like uplift of this character. A, a new dimension is added to him. And Rocky, very much like uh, James Bond, is anything you want him to be. I think the Rocky that we've seen in five, six, and now this is being seven, are completely different Rockies. Like, it basically, Rocky fits to the plot. Because we were looking at a Rocky that's brain damaged in five. That's not really there in six, or to a certain degree it is. And then in seven, it's not there at all. But I, I don't mind it. I don't mind any of it. Make You can use whatever Rocky you want. But um, what do you think? Do you think this is the first? Yeah, I have a few things to say. I guess instead of people were happy to see Stallone, I should have said, Awards voters were happy to see Stallone because he really is the only one who got awards love. But yeah, like the awards circuit was all firmly about Stallone during Mm -hmm. Creed 1. You know, it was kind of like this vindication for him. He didn't win the Golden Globe for Rocky. He never, he won, Rocky was nominated for 10 Oscars. It won three of them, but it didn't win any of the acting ones. So for him, this was his moment to shine. That's kind of what I was saying. Got you. But I will say, maybe this is where I do something a little bit different. I mentioned that there are some critics who didn't like this movie. They didn't maybe like it because of the conflict in it. One of those critics was me. And I was going to call <laughs> you on that. I was literally going to say, Amy, are you one of those critics? And I had too much of an opening salvo to throw that in. Okay. 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 Go ahead. So we'll just read some of my review now. And I will say it actually touches on something you just mentioned, which is why I was like, oh, I'm just going to do it now. After seven rounds as the Italian stallion, Stallone cannot let go of the spotlight, even though he barely has a handle on his own character. His Balboa has been Xeroxed too many times. He's all blurry around the edges. The once hyper-specific lug who doted on turtles still has the fedora and the clear plastic glasses. He even still has the turtles. But he now comes across like a generic old man who reads the newspaper, complains about his back, and is befuddled by technology. When Adonis uploads his jump rope routine to the cloud, Rocky is mystified. What cloud, he grunts, looking at the sky, a joke that could pop up in any movie about any retiree and probably will. The movie around him is just as vague. After his 15th win at a slum club in Tijuana, where his opponents are so rinky-dink that he unties his gloves before the referee counts to siete, Adonis quits a vague white-collar job, insurance, banking, law, to go pro. Why, prods Marianne. He's rich, not desperate or dumb. Adonis can't answer and neither can the film, which vacillates between believing he needs to prove himself as an individual and framing boxing as an inheritable disease. When Stallone wrote Rocky, he wasn't a boxing fan. Original director John G. Avildsen hated the sport. Accordingly, Rocky was a boxing movie that was about everything but opportunity, loserdom, loneliness. Creed is just a boxing movie. 
The interesting wrinkles in the Adonis character go mostly unexplored, like his abusive early childhood, his torn feelings about his cheating father, even his rich kid background, which matters so much to everybody else, barely registers once Adonis moves to Philly to slum it. Meanwhile, 69-year-old Stallone pulls focus in the background, coughing dramatically like a Victorian heroine. When Adonis seizes a moment to seduce Thompson's Bianca on Rocky's couch, the camera pans over to end the scene on Balboa's disapproving turtle. It's the kind of goofy personal choice the film could use more of, but it also made me shiver. Even Rocky's pets will outlive us all. Wow, there you go. So <laughs> not, not, not a fan. So I guess before I tackle all of that. We do have to talk, though, about one of the things I think Michael B. Jordan brings to this movie as a guy who understands what it's like to grow up in the shadow of a famous name. And that is just being named Michael Jordan. I mean, I think this is like a really fascinating psychological insight into Adonis Creed is how much Michael B. Jordan understands what it is like to be named after someone where you have to carry this name around for the rest of your life. Like Ryan Coogler has said that Michael B. Jordan would tell him stories that like he would try to order pizzas. And when he would say the pizza's name is Michael Jordan, people would hang up on him. You know, that he got teased his whole life in school for being named Michael Jordan. Like he uses the B. He only starts using the B like when he joins SAG because Michael Jordan had already made Space Jam. And so SAG was like, you can't do that. And actually really early on, he got accidentally sent one of Michael Jordan's checks for Space Jam. It was like $40,000 and he had to send it back. But so he had to live in the shadow his whole life. And he has said, by the way, that this is like really a zing on his parents because when he was named Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan already existed. It wasn't like they didn't know. It wasn't like he was Michael Jordan and then Michael Jordan rose to fame. Michael Jordan was like three years into his thing on the Bulls. I think he won MVP the year that Michael B. Jordan was born. But basically the story is that his dad is also named Michael Jordan, Michael A. Jordan. His mom was in labor with him for 89 hours. And the quote that he gives is that his mom said, after 89 hours of labor, I told my husband, I don't care what you call him. So we called him Michael Jordan. And then he had to grow up with this name his whole life. And he has really talked about how it it put this chip on his shoulder that he was like, I'm sick of being teased for having this other man's name. He was a really big basketball player himself, like in high school. Like he would go from the set of All My Children. If you go from doing a scene like this with Susan Lucci, which, by the way, set up here, he, Susan Lucci, a couple other people are about to have a picnic. It gets rained out. What you doing? Where you spin? What do you mean? I ain't doing nothing. Yes, you did. You threw that rap on the floor. Pick it up. Leave me alone. He would have to leave that set and then go straight to his high school and play in a basketball game where people would make fun of him for being named Michael Jordan. So his whole career was kind of founded on this idea of like, you're going to know me by this name, but I'm going to own this name. So I believe him when he talks about needing to own a name. And by the way, he took it back too, where... Uh, he goes in and uh, to Space Jam 2. And, <laughs> that's, right. that's a uh, and, really good gag. And becomes Michael Jordan. I, I will say that, look, I have a friend um, who, his name is Phil Jackson. He's a great writer, uh, created the show Grand Crew on NBC, if you're not watching. Oh, yeah, out. I know Phil. He's great. I Phil have is great. I have a weird story about Phil I should tell you one time. Oh, wow, I'd love to hear it. Uh, and Phil, Phil, to me, like I've said a handful of times, like, like, oh, who's in your group? I'm like, oh, Phil Jackson, like, haha. I'm like, oh no, no, like Phil, <laughs> like it, like it is, like, uh, it, like people. It's funny that Michael Jordan and Phil Jackson are not like 
ridiculous, like not like Jason Sudeikis. You know, it's like those are <laughs> you know they're they're common name first names and last names. It's like like the people are like oh no no that it's like the way that no one's named like Adolf, right? It's like we you know it's like the Hitler name doesn't continue on. Like it's like well what you want people not to. There's a million Jordans out there. Is Michael like retired from being named? But it's funny how people like, like they're mad at you for having this name of somebody (laughs) that they like. It's bizarre. That's so funny. Where do you fall now in the rewatch? Are you still in that same boat? On this rewatch, I found myself really, 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 really liking the film again for about the first hour. And then I found myself getting mad uh, once more at the film and being like irritated with with it off and on for the last bit. I I overall like it more than I did in 2015, but I I realized that part of my problem with Creed when I watched it for the first time is that Michael B. Jordan is so good as Apollo Creed that there's a point in this movie right about here. Everybody. Oh. Hey, oh. Oh, you all right? I'm all right. You okay? I'm all right. I'm, it's up. I'm all right. All right? Okay. Yeah. Just let me walk. I'm good. When Rocky pukes and this story that's been building about like Apollo fighting pretty boy Conlon and what's going to happen just gets like taken over by Stallone and his like weak ass lymphoma narrative where he like has it, and you're like, oh no, Rocky's gonna die in this movie. And then the doctor's like, oh, we can treat this. And he's like, no, don't treat it. I don't wanna be treated. And then you're like, man, he's just gonna suffer this whole time while like Adonis is learning how to box. Oh, that's really tragic. And then Adonis just finds out immediately and there's just no drama in any of this. And at the end of it, he's fine. And it really made me feel like Stallone saw how good this movie was and then yanked back the spotlight to be on him. And It annoyed me as much the second time as it did the first time because I really, really like Michael B. Jordan in this movie. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... The charcoal mess. Great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? Uh, Hello? Hey, Janice. I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. (laughs) No, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Save big money on everything for your spring projects at Menards. We have all of your garden and landscaping essentials. Master Garden Premium Garden Soil contains a slow-release fertilizer that feeds gardens for up to nine months. It produces better results and is ready to use for all your gardening needs. Save big on Menards' great selection of garden and landscaping products. Compare brands in-store or online at Menards.com. Save big money at Okay, I have a couple things to say. Um, I disagree with you. <laughs> Surprising. The reason why I love Stallone is because I find the performance restrained. I find the performance not in awe of Stallone. He is a character in a movie. He is not an icon that is overshadowing the movie. And I think that a lot of these reboots have a hard time 
paying homage to what has come before them, like, and actually telling a new story. Creed is a new story that Rocky happens to be in. It's not a Rocky movie. And I love that. And I can tell you the reason why I feel that even stronger is because I watched Creed 2 right after Creed 1. And that is one where Stallone put his fingers in the pot. That's where he gets story by credit. That's where Ryan Coogler is not involved. And Yeah, he claims he wrote that whole one, which I don't know. And regardless of whether or not he did, it feels like he did. It doesn't. It fe- that feels like a Rocky movie. That feels like Rocky Four Part Two, and I really am looking for the Creed moments in Creed Two, and the Creed moments even feel like a retread of Rocky. What I love about this movie is that Kugler came in and made a movie that I feel like is personal, is specific, is incredibly exciting, but while it like bows down to the Rocky franchise, it's not controlled by it. And I really do believe that Stallone's performance here, like if he was smart, he would have just sat back and let them continue to use him. And now he's not in Creed 3. I haven't seen Creed 3 yet. I have. It's actually good. I liked Creed 3. But okay, but the one thing that I do know is that Stallone's not in it. He refuses to go along with this franchise because he doesn't like the direction that it's going in. He doesn't want it to be about Creed. He still wants it to be about Rocky. And this is the movie that put him in the background. And and it's and I frustrating. Think you see that struggle in the movie. I, really I don't think, think you, you see, see it because I think that Coogler's is not letting it come through. I think you see it in two more than one. I think that Kugler keeps a really good handle on it and then is like, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. Like, I I think he does a very, very good job. But there is a turning point after that puke, after Rocky is like, lymphoma. Well, we went through your test results and your biopsy came back showing signs of large cell non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. What's that do? Well, it's a form of cancer. After, I do believe that the script bungles any sort of suspense about Rocky's disease and, like, Michael B. Jordan not finding out because he immediately finds out, like, three minutes later and Stone's like, oh, I don't want to get better. What you should be thinking about is that fight coming up. That's the only thing that should be on your mind, nothing else. What you mean don't think about this? When you start in treatment? I'm not doing no chemotherapy. If you don't jump on this quick, you're going to end up dying. I know. And you're all right with that? I am. It's in this stretch where suddenly we go from watching Michael B. Jordan learning to box and getting better and better and better to he's like in the ring boxing and the camera just pans all the way over and now we're watching Rocky again. We're just watching Rocky watch him box. And I really feel like it kills the momentum. Here's where I disagree with you on that. Yes, Rocky gets sick and Michael B. Jordan finds out relatively quickly But haven't we seen enough films where, like, the two main characters are hiding something from each other for too long? You're like, they wouldn't talk about this. They wouldn't find out about this. Like, there was something that I thought was so beautifully executed in the clunkiness of that moment. He goes, he puts the papers in his pocket, he hangs up his jacket, Adonis sees the jacket, pulls out the papers. What is he doing going through his pockets? Well, I think he sees something in the pockets. You know, we all know Rocky doesn't put stuff in his pockets, but I don't Ooh, care because... I got a turtle in my pockets. <laughs> Come and get it out. But I think the thing that I like about it 
is Adonis's journey is taking care of Rocky. That's a part of this journey. And Rocky taking care of him. You know, Adonis doesn't have a father figure. And Rocky doesn't have a son. That's what we're watching, right? And they both fill that void for each other. I think probably what Kugler was intending on doing, which so Stallone shot down, was having Rocky die. See, I think if Rocky died, I'd be okay. See, you gotta I kill think him. If, you can't just give I, him this like no. Miracle I cancer. think if you, I think if you lymphoma, you can get over. Uh, but not, I want Rocky to get over. It. I want everybody else, everybody else in the real world suffering absolutely. But I want Rocky in this movie to die. I He's think that die. if Rocky dies, it feels like it's too much. I I get why you want to do it. It's it's copying the Mick storyline from you know uh, from the Rocky films. I mean, you know, it's rare to have a Rocky movie where somebody doesn't die. Yes, I think that him dying would almost undercut something else. I like that they built this father-son bond. And you have this character who, he's searching for something. When you said like, well, what's his job? Who cares what his job is? He wears a suit. He got a bank manager. I don't care. It doesn't make a difference. That, that job doesn't have to play into anything. He's rich because he's living with his mom. He has a great relationship with her. Felicia Rashad is amazing in this movie. But, there's something that's gnawing at him. Like there's this idea, like he knows who his father is. His father was great. He probably wanted to box as a kid because he knew that was his dad. You see that he's gotten in trouble his whole life with that kind of, you know, thought, like thought process that he's searching for something. And when he has to take the fight, like when he says, I'm taking this fight, you get that it's to prove himself on some level, but I think that he believes that will make him whole. But I think the relationship with Rocky is the thing that makes him whole. And that's what I think the movie is about. It's like, yes, your accomplishments are one thing, but your relationships are the things that actually keep you full. It's like it's like your job versus your life. And I know that that's probably an oversimplistic way of looking at it, but I do believe that that core, even though you think it's a little clunky, we need that I'm here for you, you're here for me. Creed two like digs up the foundation of all of this and it takes away all those choices in it. And it kind of like restarts it. I, I found myself bored by Creed two uh, at points. There is still something very exciting about it. And watching these movies is like reading a motivational book. Like you leave pumped and excited, but I do believe that that core of a father son relationship is the best part and why Creed actually isn't a boxing movie as much as the Rocky movies are. It's not just about a fight. It's about it's about filling this God-sized hole that Creed has inside of him. But I do find it a little funny that this whole Creed world makes this point by really having this, like, to me, sort of demented father-son thing. Like, there's almost not a pair of people in this movie who aren't some sort of father and son. You really get the sense watching this movie of, like, being trapped kind of in a time loop of history where, like, your dad was a boxer. You're going to be a boxer. Your dad was getting trained by Duke. 
you're going to go and see little Duke's son, who's also a trainer. You know, there's just like this repeating history. Oh, Amy, and that's so unrealistic, right? Because uh, you don't ever root for the Lakers with LeBron James, who literally is tweeting out how good his son is and better than everyone else. And his son is actively trying to get in the NBA or Steph Curry and his brother and his dad and the legacy of most sports. I'm not going to stick up for Bronny. I'm not going to stick up for Bronny in this light. Bronny's too short. I'm sorry, LeBron, but you fell in love with a short woman. What do you think is going to happen? I just think that you, like, the legacy of... A, the Nepo uh, athlete? Uh, uh, well, yeah, a Nepo <laughs> athlete, because you yeah. grew up in, like, I don't think that that's, I don't think that that's far-reaching. I don't it's, think I, it's I, like, I, like, or like, Yeah. But it's like, okay, there's like maybe seven or eight Nepo athletes in the NBA today. No, way more. Way more? Kobe, okay. Kobe was a Nepo athlete. Uh, you know, like you look at like so many and I, th- I think the difference is where were they? Because there's a lot of players who are great right now whose parents were like in European leagues, right? Like they were around right. the NBA. They were, be- they're not like, it's not like LeBron breeds the, you know, like John ja Morant. It's not like, not like, not everyone is, at the top of their game, right. but I, I think mean, that well, they're like in Shaq it. told his son not to try to like join the Lakers this year. And he did anyway. And then he had to, I think he went back to school because he wasn't well, that Yeah. Great. Well, look, I, but I like, go to. But Scotty Pippen's son is a Laker and he's okay. But, but let's, but that's okay. So maybe we're talking. I don't 7%, still think. Yeah. 7% of the NBA. Sure. That's still not like 79%, which is what the Creed world is. I just think that if you have greatness in your legacy in something. And as a kid, right, I just think about Adonis as a kid. He's looking up to this man that's not in his life who is dead. Your dad was the world champion of the world, like, you know, a world boxing champion. Like that as a kid, you be like, I could probably box too. And you probably got into it. And you probably, you know, just to copy it. And that was, and then you probably were good at it. And then this became the thing. Like he got into another fight. Like he's always fighting. Like that was maybe what he thought he had to offer. I, yeah. He's a fighter before he even seems to know that that's his dad. Because, like, he doesn't seem like he knows at all, right, at the beginning. Oh, he knows. I don't think so in that scene. Oh, I think he definitely knows that his dad is... Because his mom, I think, told him. I just don't think that he's expecting anyone to take him. I don't think he learns. Like, there's not a scene where he learns. Like, he learned that as a child. I don't think, like, I think that this is maybe the difference. Like, I don't think it's in his DNA. I think... Here's a boy whose mom dies, but before she dies, she's like, you know what? Apollo Creed is your dad. And he's like, I'm going to be the next. I'm going to be like Apollo Creed, but he's in group homes. And then this woman comes to take him. And then he really becomes part of, you know, Creed's family. Nigga said something about my mom, so I beat his ass. I'm sorry about your mother. I know what it's like to lose someone. When your father died, I was angry for so long. I hurt myself, pushed family away. I don't have no father. What did you say? I said I don't have no father. That's not true. He passed before you were born, but you had a father. See, I'm not sure about that. But I mean, there is this like this great mystery about like the missing Lady Johnson. Because he's pretty young here. This is like 98. So he is, I don't know. I can't estimate kids' ages. You can estimate kids' ages. How old is a uh, kid who looks like I, I was saying he's probably 10. 10? Yeah. So he's been there. Seems like he's been there for a while. We don't know when his mom died. If he died at three or if he died at seven, there's yeah. a kind of a difference in what you might know. 
But I don't know. He seems he seems surprised at me. Wait, I think he's surprised that she comes to take him. It felt kind of like Oedipal to me, but maybe I'm also just getting thrown off because everybody here is like literally named after like a Greek figure from mythology. I mean, I guess we can know that like either Apollo or unnamed Mrs. Johnson really cared about Greek mythology too, to be like, who can I find with an A name that will be very clear that this is my child? And then he'll just go around by by the name Donnie. I like Adonis. It's nice. Are there people named Adonis in real life? I used to know like, I used to know some Athenas back when I had to go to like a Greek church. <laughs> I guess, you know, and I, I guess what I like about this is it's another example. If this is the moment that he finds out that he is Apollo Creed's son and it's just been within him that he is a fighter, like, I don't care. And I think that that's another sign of a good filmmaker in a way because Kugler just gets it out. Like, we just need to get, we need to put all the pieces in play. And we're going to, we're not going to have the moment where, you know, Marianne brings him to the house and goes, this was your father. And he's like, oh, like we skip a lot of time. Luke, the, these you know, are your boxing gloves. Right. And, but we've seen that. And we, and, and also the, the same idea with the, um, with the cancer diagnosis, like, let's just get, we need to get to the drama. That's the, f- the more fun stuff, not the exposition. And I think like that, that is really well handled here. It's like, as an audience, we know what we're trying to see. Apollo Creed's son's fighting. We got to figure out some way to just connect it and get us to Philadelphia, but they do it really well. Um, you know, I think the reason why he's fighting undercover is because... Well, I believe the explanation he gives in the movie, which is like, he's worried if he takes on that name, he's going to let that name down. What are you afraid of? I'm afraid of taking on the name and losing. They'll call me a fraud. Fake Creed. What you think about what's true? You love to fight, right? Yeah, it makes you happy, right? Yeah. Yeah, and you are Apollo Creed's son, right? Yes. So then use the name. It's yours. I believe that. That makes sense to me. Like, you whip out the last name Creed. Everybody's watching you. Everybody wants you to fail. Like, it's hard for me to summon up a ton of empathy for the position of being, you know, a legacy kid in the world, because it really feels like at this point that legacy kids are like running the world. But they kind of always were, honestly. <laughs> like, even when I go back and like research old Hollywood, you look at cast lists from 1916. There's like legacy kids in there already because their parents were stage actors. Their pa- their moms do costumes. It's kind of never been that even of a playing field. Uh, but it is funny because like. The Creed franchise, the Rocky franchise, have this foundational idea of being an underdog. And that is the Rocky thing. Rocky, legit Rocky, first Rocky, is an underdog. And kind of the pleasure of watching this franchise over the years has been like, well, how the fuck are they going to make him an underdog now? You know, like, he's a millionaire who owns robots. How is he going to be an underdog in Rocky Four? A movie that I deeply love, deeply love. And I almost want to pitch someday to you, that we do a mini episode just for fun on a movie we know is not going to space, a movie we know is not one of the best times ever, just so you and I can talk about Rocky IV for like 30 minutes because I I love this movie. I even wrote an essay for Rotten Tomatoes on like movies that are rotten that we deeply love, and that was my pick, Rocky IV. But in that one, they're like, how are we going to make him an underdog? What are we going to do? And there's always this like effort, which becomes, I like Creed Three a lot, but that's the hardest part of it is how to make him an underdog again. I'll just leave it there. Well, okay. And I and I agree. And but let's just look at this movie here because he is an underdog. Doesn't mean that he 
the fact that he comes from wealth, the fact that he um, is the son of a famous boxer uh, doesn't mean that he is not an underdog. He's an underdog because, you know, he's 29 years old when we're when the story is starting for real. So that he's an older fighter. He's got this name after him. He's never really made anything of himself. Um, there's a lot of reasons why he is an underdog, right? And and it and he's an underdog because he doesn't believe in himself. Like Creed looks good. He carries himself well. He's got like a little bit of an edge and a chip on his shoulder and an anger issue. And he feels like he's not been accepted. And, you know, I'll go back to your point, too. If his mom tells him at 10 years old that he's uh, Apollo's son, then he's got 20 years to live in that shadow and 20 years to feel like I want to be like my dad. Maybe I do have this thing. Maybe this fight in me is from a place like I am his son. Like, so I, anyway, you get there. We don't have to watch that. We don't have to see him doing this as a kid. We just get there and we get to this moment. I think they build him as an underdog in a really interesting way. Again, going back to my point, this movie is more fascinating to me because yes, it's a boxing story, but he only becomes whole because of these relationships where Rocky, I think you're rooting just simply for him to exist through the fight. Like, can he do it? Can he get back up? Will he not let himself down here? I think you leave in that, like that last moment where he and Rocky go to the tops of the steps of the Philadelphia museum, where there's no more Rocky statue. And they look out over Philadelphia and they see their whole life or, you know, they see your whole life from here, like that whole moment. It, to me, that's why this movie ends on the stairwell and not in the ring. It's not a movie about the ring. It's a movie about these two people and what they brought to each other. And if you were to ask me, I would say that the weak link is the Tessa Thompson relationship. I don't think that she's a weak link. I just feel like every time we get to that, I'm like, okay, come on, let's get back to, let's get back into the mix. And I know that it follows all the Rocky tropes. I like Tessa Thompson in this. I like, I think he does need to have a relationship. All these things I believe, but if you were to say anything that kind of slows down the movie for me, it's that, it's the momentum of that relationship. Cause it's like, there isn't really even a will they, won't they. I like them together. I like their little dates. You know, she's got her own thing that she's dealing with, but it just feels like, okay, Fine, like, and, and she and he finds somebody who like likes him for him. We don't know that he's ever had someone who liked him not for him. I, but I, I, it's fine. It that to me is the only ding I'll give on this movie. Where it's like, it, and I think the performance makes it more fun than it should be. Yeah, I mean, I like a lot of bits of like their relationship. To be honest, like I like them together I, I like, a lot. Yeah, I like the way they meet. You know, he's banging on her door. And when he sees her, he like barely introduces himself. He does. He looks like almost like one of those like cartoon bunnies in Bambi where they're like a sexy rabbit and they can't talk anymore. I'm done. Yeah. I like her musicianship. I kind of like that song she's doing when he's like, oh, she's pretty cool. She's doing that like grip, grip, grip song. I think she looks really rad up on stage. I love her song on stage. I might give a little, but you can take it all. I might try to run, but just to make you follow. I like it when you grip, grip, grip. Got you right where 
I like that they're goofy together. I like that when they hang out, you see like the dorkiest side of him where he's like rapping about cheesesteaks and not yeah. being very good about it. So this is the house. This is it. What you working on? Uh. Hey. Hey. Uh, uh, uh. It's your boy Don A. From LA to Philly. Philly, the home of the cheesesteaks. Oh, I want a cheesesteak. I'm so hungry. Hungry for the title. I settle for a cheesecake. Cheesecake, the cake that you make, cake that you got. Where the beat go? By the way, side note on uh, John Moran, if we're just going to tie like basketball in, you know, there was that video that he just put on Instagram where he's like flashing a gun and not going mm-hmm. to be in NBA games for a while. Have you seen that video? Did you watch it yes, on his Instagram? Yes, of course. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of funny that like he's rapping the whole time and he's a terrible rapper. Like John Morant just exposing to the world what a god awful rapper he is. It's so funny, so funny. Um, yeah. So on the on the bad rapping scale, I don't know. I feel like him and Michael B. Jordan are kind of tied. But I think like the movie does a good job in having her be a person with like kind of her own life, her own interests, also the ability to like drop everything and go to London. But like they have that little scene where they're like we are both people who are committed to like our work first, to like our craft, to who we are almost more than love. And that's kind of cool. She's not just like, I'm here to be your girlfriend. She's like, I got my own stuff going on. What are you going to bring to the table? And they have that really good showdown fight about it. Ask me. How many females have you been with before me? (laughs) Anything else? Look, Bianca, come on now. You different. How? When I'm around you, I feel like I know you my whole life. Mm Mm-hmm. Tell me you don't feel the same way about me. Whatever, that's passion, that's infatuation, that phase. Yeah, well, I can't see that happen. Why not? You motivate me. Okay, so I'm just motivation too? Are you going to find a problem with everything I say? No, I want to find the real in what you're saying. Don't worry, it's cool. Maybe you're just motivation to me too. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. I don't mind that. So I like all those things. I don't know how much they really need to be in here. If you had to have a love interest, it's a good one. I, I agree. Like, I don't want to pull it from the movie because I think it 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 really does help. It shows Michael B. Jordan in a different way. I think it really does show him as a sweet guy because, you know, it's hard. It's a different culture. Like, I think that that Creed captures boxing culture better than Rocky captured boxing culture in a way. Uh, I think that There's a Rocky won. around it. Yeah. yeah. And I yeah. think especially black boxing culture is represented here in a very different way. And I think that you need these scenes to see him as a full person. And I, and I think that that's also I'm going back to Kugler here. Like it makes sense. That he's been really, that he wanted to do this. It wasn't like an open writing assignment. It wasn't like come meet with Stallone. You can tell there's a passion here and it goes into directing too, because this movie is shot beautifully and I'm going to push it up against Creed 2 for a second. I've heard Michael B. Jordan does an amazing job in Creed 3. But he does a great job with the boxing in 3. The, he does a great job, period, in 3. It doesn't feel like a, fir- a person's first film. The The boxing in this is so electric. You know, it's, it's really good. It's so, like you know, it's it's a steady cam in the, you know, one shot. or It feels like it's a one shot fight. You know, it's so choreographed. Yeah, it, almost twice. It, There's the Tijuana one and then the other yes. one. The, the really big. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing one. And I think that he makes 
those moments really work. And again, to your point, what we just saw there, like the little scene where he's rapping and being a terrible rapper, although I don't know if that was a part of the, you know, look, he's only going to be good at a couple things. I also feel like he gets really great performances. I, I, what if you know, rapping about cheese dicks instead of cheese steaks? Oh, call back <laughs> all the way to the earliest days of us doing the show together. <laughs> Every Stearns & Foster mattress is handcrafted with the finest materials for irresistible comfort every single night. Now, save up to $800 on select adjustable mattress sets only at StearnsAndFoster.com. Lesser savings may apply. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. But there is, to me, this, you see, and I think this is what, I, it made, this movie made me excited for more Ryan Coogler material. Because I think, would he really is great at is balancing the spectacle and the emotional intensity. And I think that's something we haven't seen since, well, I won't say, I'm going to say it, but oh, just say like, it. it's a Spielberg type of a thing where you can balance both of those things and with equal weight, where you feel like they're both effortless for him. Like, and that's why I think Wakanda or Black Panther has become the first one, has become this phenomenon. I think the way that he handled Chadwick Boseman's death in the second one, also, like, he can bring you to a place and then get the movie going again, but also make it feel weighted. Like, he is truly a fantastic visual and heart filmmaker. And I, and I, and I, I think that this movie like reminded me of how good it is. Like I loved Fruitvale station. Um, but this balance that he can do in big budget movies, I'm just like, what's the next one? What, what am I going to get to see again? Because I think he makes Stallone great. There's just not a slickness to the second one that there is to the first one. And looking at them side by side, you just, I think can appreciate how great and how smooth Ryan Kugler is in what and and the stories that he wants to tell. I think they are they are personal and interesting. And that's the reason why Stallone was nominated because of him. A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, to me, that's one of the really interesting dynamics of this is like, well, first, you know, Kugler is a guy who like a lot of directors taking on franchises right now. He's like, this franchise existed before I was born. Like, this has always been there for me. Like, Kugler was born in 1986. He always would say in interviews when this movie came out, he was born like after Rocky IV. Like that's how late he came in. And that Rocky was just this thing that was always in the zeitgeist for him. One of the things actually that he points to is like proto-rising awareness of Rocky 
is actually that Puff Daddy music video, Victory. Do you remember this? It like uses a little bit of the going the distance from Bill Conti. Mm-hmm. It sounded like this. You can hear uh, Notorious B.I.G., who had already died at that point, like doing a couple lines at the end. And the music video for this, by the way, was like one of the most expensive music videos ever made. It cost like $2.7 million. I forgot the song completely existed, but like it was Ryan Coogler was like, this is sort of the stuff. It was in the background of my life. Like I always knew that Rocky was a thing. And then his dad being a huge Rocky fan, his dad getting sick and him thinking I need to make a Rocky movie for his dad kind of was the stew that this all came out of. That said, like, I think he gives Stallone such a gift with this movie. Yes. You know, I like Rocky Balboa a lot, actually. I remember loving Rocky Balboa when it came out. I think Rocky Balboa is good. It ends, uh, you know, with Rocky Balboa getting in the ring, being very old. A computer program has told this rival that he's like the ultimate guy to fight. And Rocky has the kind of ending that he likes to have a lot, which is like a really brutal fight where he loses, but it's a split decision and the moral victory is his. You know, that's been like the first Rocky fight. That's, you know, this movie, it's Balboa. It happens over and over again. He loves that setup where it's like, I lost, but I won. I lost, but I won. I think one of the benefits of that is you never are quite sure how it ends. I've watched Creed a handful of times, but I forget like, oh, how does it end again? And there is just this vagueness, you know, a uh, technical decision or, you know, uh, you know, just you made it to the end. Like it it doesn't carry as much weight where you're like, oh, I remember, right. They blew up the plant at the end. Oh, I remember he has his victory. Like, and I, and, and each time I'm like, ah, I know that it, like, it's going to end good. It, it's going to end where I'm going to feel good. I just forget how the specifics of it making you feel like, like that's, and I think that that's really interesting. I, I think that's a trick of this of these movies in general. Like you don't know, like oh yeah, any given movie, it still feels like it can go either way. It's true. I mean, I think it's funny that this movie makes such a big deal about the Rocky Three ending, the one where he and Apollo kind of have their private fight at the end, and you never really know who wins. Yeah. Since we're pretty much like family, who won the third fight? He did. I have this theory that when Stallone says that Apollo won, he's lying. That like that like Stallone plays that scene as though he actually won, but he wants this kid to feel good about it and nobody will know. And he's like giving this kid a gift. I feel like I have no way of proving this, but I feel like that's how Ryan Coogler got him to say that Adonis won that fight. Because he was like, you know in your heart, Stallone, that Rocky won that fight. But you're going to tell this kid what you think he needs to hear. I deeply believe that. Listen to it again. I think I'm right. Who won the third fight? He did. I I disagree. I disagree. Because here's, here's what I'll say. I think that, look, is that what Stallone thinks? That's my point. Is that what Stallone thinks? Because that, that's yes. what's interesting to me. Because Apollo is a better fighter than Rocky. Like, he just is. And that is what we know to be true. Like, it doesn't mean that Rocky is not a good fighter, but I do believe that, like, it also helped. To me, I also see, like, Stallone going, like, it actually helps my story if I lost. I'm an underdog. Like, I, yeah, I got lucky once. I got lucky a handful of times. But 
I, I am, I'm never feeling great. So I do believe that like talking about the underdog, that's Stallone reaffirming he's an underdog. If he lost the third fight, he's constantly putting himself under the bus. He needs to put himself under the bus. Rocky shouldn't be winning that fight. But I feel like it wasn't a brutal takedown either. These guys are behind closed doors. Like, how rough did it get? I mean, the last time we saw these two fight, like, they're both coming out of the hospital in, like, in, you know, in wheelchairs. Like, you know, like, I mean, it seems to me like that end, that final fight was very, like, hey, 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 bump, bop, bop. Yeah, that's a hit. That You know, it's like, it just feels like a, I, I don't think they went, I don't think they went hard. <laughs> no, but I do feel like the, the complications and layers I believe I see in this scene kind of speak to the idea of what it is like for Kugler to work with Stallone, to kind mm-hmm. of come together for a common purpose. When I Stallone at his heart has always been so proud being a one-man show. You know, like Stallone... Well, Stallone but, notoriously <clears throat> puts his name on every movie that he's ever in. He, you know, he did that thing that I think is one of the funniest bits of all time, that the movie Cobra was actually based on a book. And he said as part of his contract, he wanted his name to be on the book. Because like he thought that it would help the author and the author like, what the fuck are you talking about? Uh, You know, so he is somebody who I think prides himself in being hands on across the board, understanding what makes movies work and or what makes his movies work. And he wants to have that that say that final say because he didn't get it. He didn't get it on certain things. I'm reading this great book right now about him. Uh, And I think he's always coming from that place. And right now in the world that we're living in in 2023, he's still the underdog. He's like, I don't have the rights to it. Fuck Irvin Winkler, uh, you know, for taking this away from me. Like I, he feels like, he, I think this is a person who like someone took away his toy very early on and he's like, I'm never going to have that happen again. Yeah, I feel like you see that need for respect and for ownership surrounding this whole project. You know, like when the movie comes out, he goes on Ellen and Ellen's like, you didn't write this. And he seems at peace with it. Then again, more recently, he was on Instagram being like, actually, yeah, every single scene with me in it, I had to write it. When I agreed to do Creed 1 and 2, after I saw the original screenplays, which are okay, but they didn't quite capture the Rocky tempo. So every scene I was in, in those films, I wrote too. So it would be very comfortable for me to perform it. And his story on this is kind of shifting. One of my favorite little bits, we are like, how much did Sloan write about this? What's going on? Is when this movie was finishing its drafts, like way before it came out, you know, he tweeted a picture of the script and he captioned it when the screenwriting is done. It's the scene of Adonis and Rocky walking up the steps. And he captioned it, yeah, when the screenwriting is done, as in he finished it. And you're like, wait, no, you didn't write this movie. But it's very funny because he has his like glasses carefully placed. It's this artful photograph. He's got his glasses right there on the script. Like he's been working really hard and just took them off to take the photo. But he also put like one of those hand grip strengtheners, you know, those like squeaky, mm-hmm. squeaky, squeaky things. That's also on the script. Like, but I was working out while I was doing it too. And you're like, that's weird. But then the more you look at this picture, the weirder it gets. I strongly encourage everybody to look up, look up this old tweet. I remember this tweet. Oh, yeah. He's got some camouflage fabric there. Like, okay, I guess he was just like also ramboing while he was reading Ryan Coogler's script that Ryan Coogler wrote. He's also got toys. He's got like a Rocky action figure there. He's got a Rambo action figure on his desk. At this point, you would be like, what more could be on this man's desk? Oh, there's so many things because the best part of Stallone's desk in this picture that he tweeted is he has a switchblade collection, like a lot of switchblades. 
and not just like a little stack of switchblades. His entire desk is full of open switchblades that are stabbing into the wood, like like the Game of Thrones chair or something like that. I tried to count them, but there's maybe like 12 switchblades, but there's so many switchblades you can't see all the switchblades. He's very into knives. And like the switchblades stop about like one inch from the script page. So you're just like, how did you get any work done on that desk? But what I love about it is this idea of Stallone, the guy who is like really image conscious about who he is in the world, what credit he deserves. And I just love to imagine him setting up this desk and being like, I'm going to be tough. I'm going to remind people of my other cool stuff. I'm going to have my glasses on because I'm smart. I'm going to look like I'm working out my hands. It is just so curated. He's like an Instagram influencer. It's like uh, he's some Instagram mommy being like, no, my house always looks like this. Look at my fruit bowls. It's well, hilarious. He's, he's, isn't he the star of that new, uh, that new reality show with his daughters? Oh, with all of his daughters, his name start with S? Uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but I mean, but you know what? Here's what I think about this. There is something about Stallone getting like buyer's remorse, and I say that in a way where it's like, okay, you do it. I don't agree with you. I don't agree with you. But you see, you see, and then this movie comes out. It's a gigantic hit. It gigantic. gets him act. It gets him accolades. It 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 gets him his Oscar, his acting award. Yes, and. There's something to me where you're like, fuck, the one movie where I don't go around saying I did it. Like now I like you can see the turmoil in him. And this is there's this book I'm reading about, like I said, about these action heroes of the 80s. And like Stallone is always at odds with this part of him. Like he felt like, you know, Schwarzenegger was getting all the attention and the accolades and Stallone couldn't really figure out his place after Rocky. And the only way he could figure out his place is by doing Rocky too. And then thankfully Rambo comes along, but he's like, I think that he is trying to attach himself to something that's elevated, but he's like, doesn't, can't give it up. Like for what he was, the young guy is like, I'm making Rocky. I'm going to write it. I'm going to direct it. I'm going to star in it. That energy he doesn't want to give to anyone else to take his story in full forward. He's still he's still coming from that underdog thing of like, I'm going to make it too. I am this guy. And that's why Creed 2 doesn't feel like a sequel to Creed. It feels like all of a sudden, I watch Creed 2 is so mad because I'm like, we're opening up in the Ukraine on these two characters that we don't care about? Like, no, let's open up on Creed. Let's go back to the... like. Like, why are we then doing this other father relationship? It's like, this is to finish your story. And I understand yes, that at the core of it, saying. like Stallone was conned. And I, and I use that in a, in a, in the most positive way possible conned to give over this movie to Kugler and Michael B. Jordan. And that became a hit. He took it back. It's not as good. And then, and then they've had this split, this creative differences split. And everyone seems to be like, oh, actually Creed 3 is very good. So this is the this is the the problem of Stolen. He can't he can't step back. And I would argue that Tom Cruise, if we're going to make the Maverick uh, you know, uh comparison, I think that Tom Cruise knows how good he is, but he also knows what makes the best movie. And he uh, still might be the lead of Maverick, but he does surround himself with great people. And he's, a, and he's also not afraid to, I think, 
be controlled. And he's not minimized, right? Like he's still the hero. A perfect example of like Russ Westbrook is a great NBA example of this. Oh, congratulations on having him on your team. Now. By the way, he's been great on the Clippers. Like, uh, I never hated him on the Lakers. Yeah. Um, but there's something I think about with him. That's really trick, which really interesting hall of fame, basketball player. Um, an amazing athlete, incredibly speedy. His basketball IQ is off the charts. But as an older man, he's still playing like the younger man. And you have to change your game. You have to allow yourself to fit into this new thing. I think that so few actors know how to give up that leading man and and morph it into something different and, and something that can still be sexy and exciting and cool without being unrealistic. Like what you said, like him getting the boxing ring with that computer generated program, you know, whatever that, that fight is at the end of Rocky, uh, you know, Rocky Balboa. Balboa. Yeah. yeah. It's like, okay, uh, sure. But it's like, you know, there's something to me where it's like, figure out your spots. And, and in a weird, in a weird way, if he was conned here or Kugler just like sold him on the idea like he should be doing more of this when he's in Copland. He's doing this when he was in, you know, like there's moments where he does do it, where he kind of lets somebody else take him and use as a tool. He's so much better than yeah. when he has all the control. I want you to listen to Stallone's Golden Globe speech for when he won the award. And I want to see if you hear what I hear. First of all, Adam Bennett, William Morris Endeavor. Incredible for making me do this. I'd like to thank MGM. Gary Barber, Jonathan Glickman for sticking to the gums. And I want to thank the legendary producers, Erwin Winkler and Bob Strada, who actually mortgaged his house to take a chance on a mumbling actor and give me the shot of a lifetime. And I want to thank very much uh, William Morris, Kevin Zujahara, Incredible Sue Cole, Dan Feldman, and of course, Toby Emmerich. Thank you very, very much. And most of all, I want to thank my imaginary friend, Rocky Balboa, for being the best friend I ever had. <laughs> See, this is the bullshit. That, not thinking Ryan Coogler and Michael B. Jordan, it's like he has a chip on his shoulder. He's mad that they took his thing and made it better. And every interview that he had to sit in and be like, oh my gosh, you are amazing in this. This is the best you've ever been. That is picking at a scab of him that he can't, Except, and that really is, that sucks because if he just took it, he's the hero. He should be in all these Rocky movies. He should be stepping out of the way, and, exactly. but he won't. Or he should be dying. But like, I think that's really funny to use that as context because one of the running bits of his like press tour promoting Creed um Sometimes when Michael B. Jordan was there, sometimes even when Michael B. Jordan was not there, was he would go on TV and he would show a video that he took, not a clip from the film, a, a video that he took on his cell phone of setting up Michael B. Jordan to get knocked the fuck down. And basically, it, Michael B. Jordan talking has talked about how he was just like pretty much out of it, head hurt for three days, couldn't function. I remember and, that. Because it was a setup from Stallone. Stallone was like, you got to take a punch. 
not knocked out, but I was definitely smelling the ground for a lot longer. Oh, than you were snoring. I was, I was, I was, so you I was saw down. this. Did you see him get knocked out? <laughs> he, he instigated. He He's was the reason sleeping. why I got hit. He was dreaming. He was counting sheep. <laughs> yeah, I, I was, I was out. But they said we've got some footage. Oh, good. Uh, so we've got some footage. See this. this was on a phone or something. So this wasn't and part his of the film. Even. He was sitting oh, there. Was on your I, phone? I had to. I just had to get this on film. I'm going to send it to my daughters as a warning. But listen closely to the sound. Now, did you know that, that he was going to connect? Absolutely. Wow. <laughs> he set me up. He set you up. Set OK, this up. is Sylvester Stallone setting up Michael B. Jordan off camera. Background's watching and action. <laughs> I mean, you can't help but hear just a little bit of like, knackhead, you know, that it's there. It's there. He's almost not hiding it. He's laughing about it. I think Michael B. Jordan handles it really well. And in interviews from that time, they do talk about how like when they came to Stallone with the idea that Rocky was going to have cancer, he was like, no. And he's like, can you make the neighbor have cancer? And then it was his wife, Jennifer Flavin who was like, stop being such a coward. Let your can- let your character have cancer. And then he, you know, milks the cancer. But this is the thing to me that I think is so interesting is the way he plays that scene, that scene where he finds out that he has, um, you know, cancer and they're like, we want to start treatment. And he's like, my wife, my wife did that. Like the way he plays that scene, I think it's beautiful. Like, and, and, yeah. and he's a good actor. He's very good in Copland, but it's not enough. It comes from this. It's interesting where Rocky is a very humble guy. He's not. So, you know, he's not a humble guy. Like he wants, like, it's not enough for him to be like told. Like, look, if I'm lucky enough to work with a director who makes me look phenomenal. Yeah. Who gets me in my first acting Oscar? I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, I'm in the Tom Cruise camp. I'm going to work with Christopher McQuarrie for the rest of my career. Cause I'm like, yeah, you make, you make me look good. You get me. And, and I think it's, it's an elevated point of view. I, and, and again, one day, maybe this book will be written about it. I, I wish it will be. I've heard a lot of stories over the years about it. Um, and the, and the push and pull of it all. Um, but it seems to me like, he can't even be happy his legacy is continuing. And he can't get out of his own way to be like, this is where the story should go. This is Philadelphia. This movie shows a different side of Philly. This movie, I think, is more soulful, more interesting. And look, and it's also capturing different times. I'm not saying that this movie is better than Rocky, but I think it's a very worthy successor to Rocky. And maybe what I, maybe I will say that what Rocky did is similar to what Hollywood Shuffle did. It really gave you faith in like, okay, I can take my own idea. I can really make my own thing. And that what that did to a legion of filmmakers is amazing and unrivaled. But pound for pound, I really have to watch them together. I, I have less of an affinity for Rocky than I, 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 rock, I like Rocky II more. Um, but I, I think that Creed is a better movie there we go. I don't know. I mean, that's, you know, I, <laughs> a split decision yeah. coming yeah. from Paul Shear. <laughs> I just, uh, yeah, I mean, but again, but the Rocky legacy, like, and that's what I'm kind of wrestling with. Like, as far as like, I don't know if I'm putting, 
I don't know if I'm putting Creed on the spaceship, and I don't know if I'm putting Rocky on the spaceship, but I think that they both represent something really interesting in culture. And I think when you talk about like boxing movies, for the most part, too, it's like we've never seen this story, like this type of a story. We got to represent both. Like, there's different sides of this story to tell. There's different worlds to explore. I just think it's inter- you know it's interesting. I will say, as of now, we don't have Rocky on the API list. We did cut Rocky yes. from the API list. So right and I'm now, okay. yeah, yeah, we don't have. I I like Rocky a lot. I really like Rocky a lot. But we might live our whole life and not have a Rocky movie on there. And I think that that's okay too. I yeah. you know I think I I like I don't know if these movies are the best movies ever made. I think it's amazing to talk about a franchise that started in, you know, like decades ago, you know, and, and is, is still, is still going like that to me is amazing. 1976, this, this franchise has been going on for 47 years. I'm impressed with the longevity of this franchise and how it can morph. And I think it should continue to morph and tell different stories. Like Rocky should be synonymous. I had this conversation this week. James Bond should just be a name. I don't need to see the next James Bond. I want to see Ryan Coogler and Idris Elba make their James Bond. And then I want to see, you know, uh, I want to see another James Bond. It can be a woman. It could be a man. It could be, uh, it could be, it could be anything. It's just like the James Bond is the, is the rapping. Like Rocky is the rapping. Like who's the next, you know, like, yes, Creed, who's after Creed. Like we don't have to continue this. We don't have to see Michael B. Jordan at 67 years old getting into a ring with somebody because it gets unbelievable at that point too. But let me ask you this. Yeah. Do you think you could take 69 year old Sylvester Stallone in a fight? No, absolutely not. No way. I mean, like Stallone's built like a brick shit house. I mean, you even look at, look, there's some moments I really laugh at like uh, that Tulsa King show. Uh, that he's in, which if you have not watched that, you're messing out on some primo good stuff. But like, he is a, like, I think that he has convinced himself that he's a boxer. Same way, like, you know, I think that like he has bought into the idea. Like, I remember hearing that Dennis Haysbert makes people refer to him as Mr. President. He's uh, the president <laughs> from 24, uh, or I had done that for a little bit of time. And I think that Stallone has believe believes himself to be a boxer. Maybe he's studied boxing a lot, maybe, but you know, he the truth is he's not a boxer, but I still think he could beat the shit out of me. <laughs> you know what this kind of reminds me of just a little bit is uh my friend Eva was recently on a podcast talking about this in, in much greater detail about how Warren Beatty refuses to believe that he doesn't get to play Dick Tracy again. Oh my even god. Even though he that, doesn't want to, but how he I won't mean, give up the rights to Dick Tracy because he's like I'm a bazillion years old, and yet someday I'm gonna be Dick Tracy again. Nobody else can have it while I walk the earth. Well, I mean that's so the, the, funny. Did you watch that AMC thing where uh, Tracy zooms in? There's so much. I, I would love to do a mini episode <laughs> on that where we break that down. But like, there's basically this, this uh, appeal where he's like, "Well, I, I could be somebody else. Could be a younger person. Could be a TV show. Could like he like he is truly again. It's that's another person where it's like." Oh, your ego is not letting you see this project the right way. Like you're, you're too in front of it. And look, everyone's got egos. And I think it's incredibly hard to transition yourself in a way that you still feel like you got the goods. I don't know. I I don't know. I, I don't know. I mean, I think that there are great examples of people who have done that and have done that really effectively. But do you but, know what I took away from this film though? What? kind of related to this idea of like mortality and who are we on earth. 
I'm watching this movie and I'm watching, you know, Sylvester Stallone, who again, 69 actually is not that old. 69 is the new 39. I feel like at least in Hollywood. And like, he's walking up a pretty low key hill, huffing like he's about to die and talking like he's an old man. Your age is my darling. That's the best. Hey, God. It's getting harder to walk up this hill. What does that mean? Anyway, it's a good day today. It's a good day. Got no problems. Bills are paid. The only thing is, it's tough to sleep at night. Sometimes my back. No matter what you do, it catches up to you. And when I was watching that scene, I was like, oh, he's not that old. And then it got me thinking about uh, how so many people I know on social media who are not that old either. Sometimes like as young as like 26, 27, 29, you know, 35, even 45, younger than 69. Talk about themselves like their grandmothers, like, oh, I'm 29. I'm too old to go out and do anything anymore. Oh, my life's over. And the way we have as a culture of just deciding we're old when we're still very, 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 very young. I think that we have a hard time as a culture learning to embrace who we are and and age gracefully and and age gracefully not saying like and and send yourself out to pasture but to not try to compete like with a 19 year old like it's like it, like how do you how do you morph and do stuff that you're working with people you're feeling like it it's just i think that you keep yourself fresh i think you keep yourself interesting but i think where you see the biggest wall and where age starts to pop up is you're not giving over any control. You're like, whatever control mm-hmm. that you've had, and this is in any profession, it's like when you stop sharing the ball, people will stop wanting to play ball with you. And then when they stop playing ball with you, you feel old because no one's asking you to play ball with them. But if you're somebody who is fluid and, and you yes, let's do, let's work, let's like, let's collaborate, let's move forward, then you are somebody that I think is you know, worthwhile. There's something about like Harrison Ford. And then again, I don't know exactly, but it's interesting to see how much he's working lately. And I'm like, oh, this is, you know, like, yes, he's taking a lead role, but like, he's doing Indiana Jones again. I think he had to do Indiana Jones because the last one sucked so bad that he's got to be like, I got to, I got to end this. I got to, I got to stick the landing here. Um, but I do feel like there, and I don't know if he's like the perfect example, but it's like, how do you be true to your age, but also still be vibrant, vibrant and contributing. And I think some yeah. people just, how do you stay elastic? How do you stay curious? And how I think some expand? people certainly just, and I think some people say, I don't want to. I'm, and they always are mourning the fact that they're not where they were. And, and that makes you old. I do. I do think. Oh, then, that, then I like this huffing mortality scene because it's like, he's literally in a place of mourning and he's like, you know what? I am going to be elastic. I'm going to teach this kid to box. I, you know, this is off topic, but I'll bring it up just for, for, I think for context when the one thing that I didn't know when I had my first child, um, was that while as amazing as it is to have a kid and, and taxing and new and, and daunting all these things, the one thing that no one ever told me was there's going to be a period of mourning of your life before having a kid. And many people talk about that uh, because 
it, it seems like, well, are you not happy that you have a kid? It's like, no, no. But the ability that I had to go see a movie at a moment's notice, to eat dinner whenever I wanted to eat dinner, to not tell anyone when I'm going to be home, not be responsible to, like, I'm now fully responsible to, at the end of the day, at mi- bare minimum, two children, right? Like, I have to be responsible. And, um, and a dog. And a dog. Uh, but, you know, there, there's this idea, I think, where mourning is a part of life and mourning isn't about saying, like, my life isn't bad. My life is great. It's a different part of my life. I had that part without kids. I love that part. It would be dumb for me not to miss it. But I've also transitioned to this other part of my life where I'm still able to see people and do things and be the way I am. But I also have a giant responsibility. And that's not bad. It's just, it. I think it is a fluidity in how do I keep on changing? How do I keep on keeping it alive? And I think that like, it may be hard to do if you become successful so young and your whole life is everybody works around you. And then at a certain part, you have to be like, oh, now... I got to work around someone else. And, and that was, and that will always be, I think a deal breaker for some people and to, for better or for worse, but you'll never see those people work again. But when you win an award, you're going to thank your kids. Sure. But yeah, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) I'm going to thank Ryan. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to thank Ryan Coogler uh, to get it in there to make sure that, uh, you know, Stallone got us due. Um, Let's just kind of, look at this in this grand scheme of things and to the best of your knowledge these movies three creeds six rockies uh you know nine movies so far from 1976 to 2023 mm-hmm. with plans for three they've announced but lord knows how many will actually get made they want to make right. a creed for a rocky seven and a uh drago one Jesus. Um, <laughs> and, by the way, where is where justice for Clubber Lang? Let's see Clubber Lang's family, people. That was uh, Stallone's idea for Creed Three. His uh, Creed Three was going to be course. Clubber Lang, of course, Jesus. bringing back his old dude, his but, dude. Yeah, his dude. Um, I guess my thought is this: like, they're uneven, right? And they are all over the place. Rocky One's a fully independent film. Rocky Two, I think, is a bigger spectacle, kind of more in the vein. Rocky Four feels like the penultimate or the ultimate version of what it is and like rocky balboa is like this oh now i have a chance to reflect on it you know creed is the entry into the new generation you know creed 2 is bridging the gap your three is kind of this 80s spectacle super fun that's when i watched the most as a kid uh you know i don't know like what is the what is the legacy of this franchise at least with these nine here in your mind well i think one of the more interesting things about a Creed movie when it does well. It ties into the underdog thing and I'm going to say it's about this. It is the macho franchise that tries to be about vulnerability. Right? It is the macho franchise where the hero takes the most hits. You compare what happens to Rocky or Creed in any of these movies compared to what happens to Thor. And you're like, yeah, this is a movie where like people actually do get hurt. Where people actually... Take their lumps, stand up, feel pain. It's it's an anti-superhero movie in a lot of ways. Because even when Rocky wins, he doesn't win easy. And I respect that about it. Like, to me, this movie is always about the scene where you get knocked down and you get back up. The reason why Rocky defeats Apollo in number two is because Apollo just wants 
to knock Rocky out. He could win the fight, but Rocky sticks around. Like, Rocky, Rocky just keeps on going, like Stallone. You know, he's just not, like, and and it's the ego of Apollo that won't take the win. He wants a victory that you could never do, which is you can never knock out Stallone. Stallone will never be out of the picture. As we talk about this, Tulsa King season two is going on. He's still developing Rocky things. He's still fighting for a piece of the pie. Like he, like he is, uh, there's always going to be five things that Stallone is working on. He is never going to go down. He has his own production company. He's like really, he, he is a busy man. And you know, maybe what they just need to do then is do, those last three movies, Creed 4, Rocky 7, Drago 1, or any combination of three, hit 12 movies, one for each boxing round, and then mm-hmm. end on the split decision they deserve. Some are good, some are bad. A little bit of good, a little bit of bad. Well, Amy, you know, I think it's only proper that we continue to look at movies that have really uh, continued. Like we, we've, we've kind of done this a few times where, you know, Creed has come out, Magic Mike has come out. Scream has come out. I know that we just re-released our Scream episode, um, you know, so people can look back on on these franchises. But I think it's time for us to look at one franchise that is coming to an end as our next film. And that is John Wick. Let's go back to 2014. Before, like, the Keanu-sance. I feel like Keanu was definitely, like, we always loved him. But I feel like from 2014 to now, it's different. Like we like love him. And this movie is a film that I think was a very big part of this next wave of loving Keanu. John Wick, 2014, action thriller, an hour and 36 minutes, so different from the two hours and 43 minute long John Wick 4 film that is uh, coming out, directed by Chad uh, Stalinsky. Uh, this is a this is gonna be fun. I'm I'm excited because John Wick to me could be a secret underdog to getting on the list. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, we talked about the Matrix. It's time for us to go back. Uh, so take a listen to the trailer. I'm up. I'm up. like that, huh? Nice ride. Thanks. How much? Excuse me? How much for the car? She's not for sale. You have good day, sir. Daisy. I lost everything. That dog was a final gift from my dying wife. Jonathan, you got out once. You dip so much as a pinky back into this pond, you may find something reaching out to pull you back in. It's personal. Where'd you get that car? What does it matter? You can get John Wick 1 wherever you watch your streaming films. I'm talking about Peacock for free. I'm talking about Hulu uh, for free. Uh, then you can buy it anywhere else. Apple TV, Sling TV, Redbox, 
Prime Video, whatever you want. But you can get it for free on uh, Peacock and Hulu right now. Uh, Amy, cannot wait to watch this with you. Uh, a big shout out to our team, producer Josh Richmond, our associate producer, Jessica Cisneros, our engineer, Casey Holford, our EPs, Cody Fisher and Colin Anderson, our MVP, Molly Reynolds, our theme song by Michael Cassidy, our fan art by Kim Troxall. Please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, rate, review, and follow us on Apple and also on Amazon. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram, and you can talk about all these movies on the Paul Shear Discord. Just go to discord.gg slash Paul Shear. Unspooled t-shirts are available at tpublic.com slash unspooled, but you can also get your very own deck of unspooled playing cards, which are absolutely gorgeous, all designed by Kim Troxell at podswag.com. Just find the Unspooled show and you'll see it right there. You can hear past episodes of the show and bonuses like screen test on Stitcher Premium and for the official API, that's the Paul and Amy Institute list of our favorite films that we've ever done from the show. You can head on over to unspooledpod.com. Did you know that more than 113,000 children are waiting to be adopted from foster care? Ellie was one of them. When she was placed in foster care at 16 after experiencing significant abuse, she felt unlovable. Thankfully, Ellie was adopted with help from the Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption. Today, she's planning on college and has a bright future. But more than 20,000 teens age out of care every year. You can help. Visit DaveThomasFoundation.org slash learn more. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley, in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.